Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, before we launch into today's podcast, I want to thank the many of you who've already pre-ordered my book, How to Talk to Kids About Anything, same name as the podcast, so you can't forget, which comes out in September 2023. I can't wait to share it with all of you, my loyal listeners, who have been with me on this journey as we interview the most interesting, helpful, insightful experts and authors and professors and real people from around the world. So many of their words are reflected in my forthcoming book. Thank you again for purchasing. I hope you love it. Now, what is to come for a child who is told he is garbage, worthless, beaten to the ground. I have often said that children who have the love and kindness and acceptance of an adult or several adults can be the difference. As you might remember me saying, Search Institute found that many young people don't feel that they have at least three people to turn to in a time of need or challenge. And our next guest had a very hard start to his life. Abused by his father, watching his mother and his siblings meet that same fate. He survived the streets of Uganda and due to the potential that somebody saw in him, a key adult, he wound up going to school and altering his life for the better in every possible way and now is making a huge impact on his own children, his foster kids, and many people around the world. My next guest will help us to understand how to talk to kids about acceptance and true self-worth. He has a remarkable story. Peter Mutabazi is an entrepreneur, an international advocate for children, and the founder of Now I Am Known, a corporation that supplies resources to encourage and affirm children. A single father and a foster dad, Peter Mutabazi is a former street kid who has worked for World Vision, Compassion International, and the Red Cross. He has appeared on media outlets such as the BBC and the Today Show and continues to be a passionate speaker. He currently lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more information, you can visit nowiamknown.com and follow Peter at Foster Dad Flipper. He has a book out right now, and it's called Now I Am Known, and it's a great book. I read it myself, and really a gripping story, a true life story, and an important story. Welcome, Peter, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, thank you for having me here. Truly excited to talk with you. I'm excited to talk with you, too. So before we go deeper into your story and talking about kids, talking to kids about acceptance and self-worth, can you tell us what lights you up and what got you so interested in ensuring that every child feels known and knows their self-worth? 
You know what? Well, it begins with me, like a stranger who did not know me, a stranger who had never seen me before. We didn't speak the same language. We didn't look alike, but somehow saw potential in me. And so for me, what lights me up is when I see potential in others and I'm given opportunity to say, you know, participate in their lives, come alongside friends, co-workers. Uh, and, and for me right now, my children, even their bio parents. You know, it's amazing when uh, I have a child and then really get to be also a resource to their bio parents. You know, it feels like I am, I'm fostering an entire family and that has been really uh, an opportunity and a joy too, that not only am I changing their children, but also the entire uh, bio family as well. Mm, that is beautiful. I didn't mention this to you before, but we adopted both of our children and are very much in touch with their birth families uh, as well. And so uh, this really speaks to me and making sure that that you you understand that when when we foster children or adopt children, children, that we're not dealing with one single person. We're dealing right. with, you know, an entire family and they are worthwhile and need to know they're accepted as well. So I really appreciate what you're saying. So can you give us a little bit of a back background story of what you came through, maybe some key points of what you came through in order to get to where you are today? Right. I think for me, I had to, from a very early age, I had to understand that there was no life for me, that there was no hope, you know, because I did not have a name until when I was two years old. So from very early age, I knew my chances of survival were very, very small. And then the other part was there was never food. So think about that. You would have food every other day and you couldn't make a choice, but also you couldn't have enough. The food would be divided for, for specific days. So, you know, not only did you work so hard as a kid, but there wasn't a meal. So for me, growing up from a place where I didn't have to think about, well, will there a future for me that that wasn't a, an aspect or part of my life that I really had to think through? It was more of we have today, but I'm not sure we'll make it either today. That is kind of a world that I had to, to really overcome to know like, hey, you know what? You though today is rough, you, you might make it next week. Like I didn't have that background of thinking farther than today. So that was the first hurdle that I really had to deal with, you know, uh, as a kid. And abuse too. So not only the 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 misery and hopelessness was lack of food and going to work as a kid at a very early age. I mean, at four, I could go fetch water three miles away at four, mm -hmm. you know, but while you're going to fetch water, that's where you get to meet other kids who abuse you, who are mean, but also you're going to fetch water on an empty stomach, you know? So that was number one. Then coming home and, you know, having a dad who didn't see any positive in anything you did, you know, uh, the moment he saw you, you garbage, you stupid boy, what are you doing here? That my own father was my worst enemy. So those two things were the things that I really had to deal with at a very early age that were tough to, to overcome because they weren't going away. They were just there every day. Uh, that was my, my toughest part as a kid. And I, when I was reading your book, I knew that you also had to endure watching your mother get abused. Your mother had to endure watching you getting abused and you didn't hold that against her because if she came to rescue you, then she would have been abused again. Uh, and and so it, it, there was an understanding between the two of you that 
unfortunately, this was the reality. And there was that hopelessness. There was just part of the reality. There was nothing you could do about it. Once you finally escaped um, and instead in the middle of the night of instead of at three in the morning, getting your father's cigarettes, although you did get a couple of cigarettes for him, you decided to keep going and get on a bus and go as far as you could. And then wound up living at the bus terminal with some other wonderful and scrappy kids. So once you were there, you had to endure some some hardships, but also you kind of got a sense of family and freedom at the same time. Is that correct? Right. Absolutely. That, that's correct. You know, and if I can take you back to my mother, you know, I think the hardest part as kids, for me, who's a, you know, a foster dad to kids is the guilt. Most of my abuse from my mother was the guilt because she she was fighting for you to have a meal, but because she asked for a meal, she got a beating for that. Uh, or she said, please, you know, would you let my kids go to school? At least learn how to, to read or learn how to spell their name. Or she gave the beatings for that. So as a, as a three, five, 10 year old watching that, your mom is trying to advocate for you, but she's getting punished for that. That guilt is what is the hardest part to deal with, you know, as I, as I grew up as well, you know. So fast forward, yeah. So I had never been 20 miles away from my village, you know. So I went on the bus station and I asked, which of these buses goes the farthest? <laughs> the lady said that one. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I asked was, how far can I run that if I die, my father will never see my dead body? Mm-hmm. So for me, running away wasn't like I was looking for a better life. It was more of, I know he's going to kill me, but why give him the joy of killing me? Mm -hmm. I'd rather, you know, so for me, it was more of, I'm going to run and I would rather die in the hands of a stranger. You know, so going that far was a joy to know that he would never find me, that if I die, he would never have a joy of laughing or rejoicing burying me and so when I once I reached in Kampala yeah I, I found other street kids and and that became my life you know mm-hmm. and the abuse was a hundred times than was at home but there was a difference these were strangers these were not my relatives these are the people I didn't know I feel like they had a right to abuse me because they didn't know me so the abuse didn't go as far as what my father would do towards me and it wasn't as meaningful because they were strangers, but also at the same time, it seemed that you felt worthless and deserving of the abuse because you hadn't yet found your self-worth. Is that correct? Correct. Because, you know, you're a thief. So the only way we could find food was stealing it from me. So you had to really, in some way, distract your mind like I'm not gonna follow the principles of my mother taught me to survive but I'm gonna learn a different way you know where I had to be numb stealing food it was all I could do but also mm-hmm. people abused us in every shape form you could imagine think of it you know that the woman will hold you hostage that you have to do this for me but you knew the only way I can fulfill their sexual behavior is for me to be safe. So things you had to learn how to be numb to go through mm-hmm. in order to survive. So yeah, so that 
in a way that made me less of a human. That's how I looked at myself. I was mm-hmm. garbage. That's how I was referred to. That's how I was looked at. I was garbage, useless, that I had no role or worth of, of anything. And I accepted that because that's what I looked like. You know, that's what I smelled like. You know, we live in the trash with, with stray animals. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, people who throw food would have to run to get it before dogs got it. So in some way, literally, I felt like I was a stray animal that's how people looked at me yeah and then that during the time that you were at the bus depot that was the time when James found you and kept sort of going back and forth and would see you and you would carry his bags and then he would give you some food and kind of started to develop a relationship with you so what do you think James saw in you that eventually made him say, I'd like to put you, put you through school. I'd like to have you join this boarding school and, and see what you can do. Well, you know, the first time he met me, to me, that was scary because mm-hmm. any kindness to us as a street kid meant danger, you know, mm-hmm. because any kind human being followed with abuse. So him giving food didn't mean he was good. It was like, oh, danger. But I waited for that danger to show up, but it didn't show up. The other thing that I think helped him to do was he earned the right to know me. He fed me for one year and a half before he could offer me that opportunity. So in some way, he built that friendship. He built that trust in me that I there's no way I could have trusted him had he asked me the fifth time or even the hundredth time I was like nah you know uh you're gonna you're gonna abuse me there's I'm not gonna follow you so in some way he really earned the right to ask me because he fed me for one year and a half and also that helped me to it's not like I did trust him but I was like well he's fed me for this long I'm sure what he's saying might be true you know, that trust, you know, even in the midst of that, you know, that I knew, okay, he, he's gained it in some way. He's earned the right for me to feel like mm, maybe I might go. And he didn't take me to school. He said, he tried several times. I said, no, because I never felt I was student and I never felt I was human enough to go to school mm-hmm. because I always thought I was less of a human being. What he changed is he said, if you go to school, there will be lunch dinner and breakfast three meals a day yeah i I was like is that that must be heaven like for anyone to have Mm -hmm. three meals a day for for me going there was really more the the idea of food Mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with education until later and he gave you shoes which seemed like a very big deal to you as well yes but i didn't like them because i never (laughs) never wore shoes until 16 years old like literally i never had a pair of shoes so uh, in some way, you know, that's maybe where he, he really began to give me a little glimpse of hope, like, wait a minute, I could be human. I could be less than what others think think, think of me, you know. And I think for me also what shocked me was I was at my lowest point of life. For him to see the best in me mm-hmm. is really is really what changed for me that I, I was trying to steal from him, but he didn't say, you know, you thief go away, but he just gave me food and he did it not once but all all the time and I think I felt like wait a minute maybe I'm human maybe there's something in me that I'm worthy of feeding in a way 
I mean, I see you're getting emotional and I can imagine why, but I also imagine that what you're saying, this key lesson of number one, taking the time to gain the trust of the children who come into your house, who you meet and who you love. And at the same time, helping them to see their humanity and to see that they are worthwhile, no matter what their past is, is what makes you so special and that relationship so special. Would you say that you are applying those very lessons that James did with you to the children that come through your house as foster children and those children who come into your house who wind up staying for a long time or a short time. Yes, absolutely. You know, knowing that the world they're coming from, you know, they've been, you know, <laughs> you know, feel, feel unwanted, feel unloved. And that is the aspect of the basic needs of humanity that I have to really give to my kids. It's not that they have to make their beds first. They have to do well in school. Like those come secondary mm-hmm. that have to meet the basics of what they lack safety you know, and feeling I am okay to that child is important, you know, and I think sometimes we forget, you know, they come to a nice home, we feel like, okay, you're good, you know, now, you know, those, those traumatic situations they've gone through still are there. And for me to somehow tear those walls, I have to focus on that first, Uh, you know, than the things I see, you know, my kids, sometimes they'll steal food, they will come and steal food and put it under their bed. And I'm like, I understood they weren't stealing food. They knew there would be no food tomorrow and they Mm. were keeping a little extra for the next day. And Mm. so my approach would change in that sense. Like, okay, you know, here's how I can help them really tear those walls of wondering, will there be food tomorrow? But rather, how do I really help manage the expectation, but also feel that they are safe and there's food for them always at all times. Mm. So what would you say was the turning point for you that helped you realize your own worth after being abused, after being told you were garbage? What was, was there a moment that you were turned on to realize, wait a second, I'm worth something? Or was it a a building over time? It was a moment. So once he took me to school, I think I'd been there for, I don't know, 10 days. So for me, I never trusted anyone can be good towards me, you know? So when he took me in a boarding school, they gave me a bunk bed. I slept on the floor because I didn't trust. I, there's no way. Then the kids would want me to join to go play soccer. I, for me, the instant thing was to fight back. I was like, what? Wait a minute. They don't, they don't want to fight me. They want me to go play. So that's kind of where I realized like, wait a minute, you know? I've always seen everyone as an enemy and how to protect myself, but that's not what I should be thinking about or worried about. That these people actually care that they want me to come alongside. And that was the aha moment. Like, wait a minute. The teacher thinks I got an F, but she thinks I'm okay. Mm. Wait a minute. You know, that's really what changed for me. That moment where I realized like, ah, uh, people really and pun- they, you know, they're not here to punish me or see the worst in me. They really want to help. So mm-hmm. I came from an example of one man. Now I had multiple students and teachers. Now I was like, wait a minute. It's, it's just not the ideal because he failed me. They had to be nice to me. But in general, people are kind and they are trying to be kind to me. That was really what 
changed my mind. Like, okay, I'm not going to hit this guy because anyone who saw me face, you know, for us three kids, if you looked in my eyes, that meant you want to fight. So mm-hmm. now I was like, wait, fuck up Peter, you know, uh, and that helped me to not react. Oh, still, you know, the first, the first 10 days at school, my plot was how, what can I steal here? You know, right. because that's the world I had come from. Then I realized right. like, wait a minute, there's food. Why would I take it anyway? Why would I steal someone's stuff? Because I knew if I take it, that would take the food away. So then I knew for me to keep getting that food, I needed to step back and not do what the instant things that I thought would give me food. It's mm, really interesting. And, and so it was once you trusted the situation and the, the children and the teachers, it seemed you also changed your focus. You moved from fighting to wanting to learn. You you became a real student. Uh, you, you had already had potential. You were quite bright peep. That's what one of the things James saw in you. But all of a sudden you started to apply yourself. You were studying more. You were borrowing people's notes. I'm going to say borrowing in quotes, because I know you were kind of, you know, <laughs> looking at their notes while they were on the soccer field, <laughs> but, you know, looking through their notes so that you could really understand the, the what you had missed essentially wow. when you were at the bus depot and became a really strong student. So much so that the teachers would say to you, Hey, like you got a C on this, but I see potential that you can get an A. Like I can actually see you as a student. And then you began to see yourself more as a student and the per- and a person who had potential to really become something. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So the one thing they did was for me, they used, I could hear words of affirmation that I didn't understand before, you know? So this man would say, Peter, you're brave. And I'm like, what does that mean, brave? Come on. You know, I spent most of my life just being the, the stepping stool for everyone. He says, Peter, if I slept, I would never be able to live on the street for one day. For you to live on the street for five years, you're brave. So he began to see what I saw as negative, make them into positive, you know? And also he invited me to his home. So now I was like, wait a minute. I saw a father being kind to his kids. I saw how they play. I saw how they sat. So now that became my ideal. If I could have, I want to have that, you know? So then I began to learn like, oh, by the way, he went to school. He doesn't steal. He doesn't beat people. So now I began to really see what he's showing to me like, Oh, he thinks I'm chosen. Maybe I'm chosen. He thinks I'm a gift. Maybe I'm a gift. And the teachers too, they will see potential and say, Uh Peter, you're smart. I'm like, really? So I began to believe in what I had by the words of affirmation that I had from them. And now it began from, wait a minute, I can get a B, I can get an A. Uh, And that really encouraged me because I had those alongside. Every time I doubted myself, they saw the best and helped me to see that I could do. And now I excel. The other part that really, the honest part that also changed my life. Now I began to say, how can I show my father that he is wrong? Because mm. he, all these, these are five words I had from my dad. You are nobody. You never amount to anything. I wish you were never born so I don't have to feed you. And you will never amount to anything. Hearing those, I believe in them. So now I thought, wait a minute. Everything he said, I can actually disprove to him that that. It's not true. And that's not who I am. So my whole goal was to work so hard to disprove what my father thought of me. And that worked in some way. Yeah. I, it, look, you are speaking my language right now. Um, I find it so important 
to help relabel kids who have adopted labels that keep them back, that are false and that they have they have taken on because that's what they've been called, that's what they have learned. And they feel they feel like they're not worthy, they feel ugly, they feel lazy. What all the things that people have put on them to relabel a child, to show a mirror to them and say, that's not how I see you. Mm. Not only do I not see you that way, that is not who you are. And that really powerful statement of I am, I am worthwhile. You know, I, I am a student, whatever you fill in the blank. When children are not able to fill in that blank with a positive statement that drives them forward and helps them look within and say, I am that, you provide the words until they can adopt them themselves. So I feel very strongly about what you're saying. I love that you're putting such an important story to it because it, it helps to illustrate the fact so well that when we take a child who has been beaten down by negative statements, by negative labels, that there is a chance for them to adopt these positive labels if we help them to see them and we use the words, we converse with them, we say it to them so that they can finally adopt them themselves. Absolutely. I, I, I agree 100%. You know, I, I'll give you an example. My my 18-year-old, he I wanted to surprise him with a gift to go drive. So I thought, I'm going to like for driver. I'm going to send him to school. So I said, hey, there's someone coming to pick you up to school. So be at this spot. He's like, what are they doing? I'm like, oh, they're coming to take you to drive. All of a sudden, he just was went off. Please don't send them. I don't want it. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. what would just happen? So I said, okay, I'll come and pick you up. So then I went to him. Before I picked him, I said, Zay, you're the smartest kid I know. You love people. And I know here in the United States, in order to help people and see your friends is you have to drive. So if we can make that easy for you, you get to do the best you can and get a job and do that. And then I said, I asked him, why was that a big issue? He said, this is what he said. He said, I never thought I was worth it. You know? So that's how he thought. So he said, I'll sabotage it before you do. So if it's a lie, I'm going to say no. So I feel I have the power to say no to driving because I know I'm not worth it. Mm. You know? And I mean, I just, I wanted to cry. Then I was like, no, son, you go drive. And so he went to drive and he came by. He's like, I'm the best driver he's ever had. <laughs> oh, well. <Right. laughs> you know, but we can see how to truly debunk of what, I like what you said. It's, you know, the negative, once we remove it and place it with a positive or what is possible, then for them, they begin to dream, you know, I mean, now he's driving, but had I been not listening, I could have said, okay, you don't want it. Who cares? No, yes. I knew where he was coming from first. Right. And that's how I approached him and said, no, you're worth it. Because I knew him saying, no, was sabotage. I'll put it out before you put it out. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad to to meet you because I just feel like you and I are just we come from such different places, but we're so on the same page. It's 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 so important what you're doing. So because you you foster children and many of the people who come through your house, they've been abused or neglected, they have traumatic histories. How do you help them to see their worth 
and that they are accepted and loved for who they are, given that background that they're coming from, how how do we help to turn that around? How have you helped to turn that around for them? I think for me, it's validate. The word valid, I love that word because it helps someone to say, hey, what do you, what are your feeling is true? You know, and I think sometimes that's where our kids don't, under, they, they feel they're going through so much that we don't understand or will never learn who they are or never be there as they want. And I think for me, that's the, the one thing that I've kind of really learned to know. I want to tag alongside of the feelings of the abuse you've gone through and say, that is true. It is true what you went through. It's true what you're feeling now. It's true the anger you have. That is my always first step place to. And once they say, okay, he is not judging me. He is not seeing me like I'm different or weird, but he's agreeing with me that my feelings or my struggles are real and true. You know, that has been my first place because that's what that man did for me. You know, again, as a street kid, he didn't say, well, you have to do one, two, three, and four before you can go to school or before I can feed you. No, he just accepted me who I was uh, as a street kid. The same I have, the same applicable tools and principles I have to use for my kids. Yes, I know you went through, you know, I can imagine what you you, you do. Or they... They're putting walls in my in my house. I don't say, oh, how dare you? No, I say, I have to put myself aside and say, Peter, he is talking and he's going through a difficult time. Right now, all he needs is just a dad to say, it's okay. It's okay. You know, yeah. not to judge them, not to say, how dare you? No, this anger has to stop. No, to say, I know how you feel. I really know how you feel. And then from there, once I get to really understand those areas, then I get to walk alongside. And for me, it's not so much to make sure that I help them, but more create space for them to feel comfortable to let go or deal with what they're going through. Mm-hmm. That's been my, my way of acknowledging where they're coming from, validate, I understand what you're feeling. And then for me as a parent to say, now, how do I create an environment where this kid will feel he is loved, he is wanted. He's worth it. And also what he went through is not his fault, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think for me being the example, I always go back to my story. You know, I say, you know, I, I was you. I know what it meant. I know how it felt, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but this is, mm-hmm. this is how I overcame that. This is how, these are things I did to get to me to where I am. So they are looking at a dad, not just a dad, but a dad who walked the same journey as mm-hmm. they did. And that mm-hmm. truly has helped me, you know, to truly be there for their kids, their, their kids, and also not to put a timeline. I think sometimes time parents, oh, yeah. we say, "Oh, we've 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 talked this over and over. Why can't you get over it?" Well, no, I've come to learn, you know, that we might say something ten hundred times before they can say, hmm, "Now I get it," and it's my job to repeat it and repeat. Remember, they use words of affirmation to debunk the negative I had, you know, but it didn't happen one day, over, over, over. And that really helped me to say, you know what? I believe it. I can do this. The same I have to do for my kids. They'll fail over and over, but it's my job to keep picking up those pieces and walking alongside them. And then at their own time, when God or uh, their mind can do, yeah, they, they, mm. then they will. They will. Uh, mm. But I have no, no timeline or to mm. say, I know when I just create space. Yeah, what a what a beautiful way of of helping them and being patient with them. You know, there was something that you said that it made me wonder and this is a tough one. 
but I, rem- I, I imagine after, you know, after I read your book and, and after I'm hearing what you're saying, I mean, it would be very easy to be angry and, and question why did this happen to me? Why in my family? Why my father? What, why? How do you get through the hatred and the hopelessness to find forgiveness? Because we not we need to get to that point in order to be available to our children and help them on that same journey to unburden them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think for me, I had to really learn my father was his own man and his own responsibility. And I was the same. Like I, I it wasn't one in one, it wasn't two in one, but we're mm-hmm. two different people. This is the man who wished me the worst. This is, was a person who could change that. That's how I looked to myself. Like, hey, his anger is his. Like, I can't, I can't be part of that. Like, you know, uh, him wanting to punish and be mean to people, that that's how he dealt. But I didn't have to follow the same trait in some way. That's for me, helped me to know that when someone is angry, that's that's them feeling whatever they're feeling, but they're they're not angry because I, I my fault. No, mm-hmm. you know. And then for me too, I also I had to learn quickly that he never wanted the best for me. So for me, not doing the best was making him win in some way. You know, in my in my little boy as a, a kid, I thought him me failing is giving him an opportunity to say, yeah, I knew you'd you'd lose anyway. But I wanted to, in some way, not let his feelings or his anger or his unwanted behaviors towards me define me that I wanted to be my own person like no 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 I'm not gonna let you in some way define my future or define who I'll be because that is your issue and that helped me when I was eight years old so my father sent me to go fetch wars and after beating me and I was so so mad I can tell you I was so mad but on my way back I passed by the bar and he was drinking and smiling and laughing with his friends. And I was like, wait a minute, I've been sulking the whole day, but this man didn't even blink. He's been having fun. So that's when I was like, you know what? I'm going to let you beat me physically, but I will never let you get to my mental health. You know, mm-hmm. that I will not let you get into my inside brain, but I will let you reach my body that you can do. And I think that really helped me to survive. Mm-hmm. Even being on the streets, even now that I really, even my kids, when they're angry or mad to know like, hey, it's not about me. It's not me who's the problem right now, but I need to listen to them. You know, mm-hmm. I remove myself and say, that's them feeling so, and I have to be a dad at this moment. You know, though, though the, the bad words are coming towards me, you know, I just happen to be the person that is safe for them to say that I have to accept them, but not repeat or think the negative towards them in some way, but rather come in as, I want to be their son. How can I be? So given that you're, when you were growing up, you were watching a father who was a terrible role model. Mm. How did you remap that for yourself? What it means? to be a father, was it what by watching James interact with you and his kids, was it something you developed on your own? Was it something you rejected in your father? How do you, you are now a wonderful father 
to all of these children. So how do you remap that for yourself when you've grown up in such a way that nobody would really fault you for seeing yourself in that same way as your your father showed you all those years? Right, you're absolutely right. When I vis when so once I finished, I was in school. Jem said, "You, I want to, I want you to spend time with us. So every holiday, I'll go live with them, and that became my family. And that's where I saw the example. I said, "This is funny." So the first day they invited me, this is what happened. They sat on the table, and I thought, "Oh no, someone's gonna get hurt." Mm. Because we've never sat on the table. I've never seen mm-hmm. enough of them. We ate before he came because we knew he would go through the window. Oh, that food is going to come flying towards you. So when they say the table, I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be part of this. So they began serving food. So for me, I they got me food and I sat by the exit door. Because I wanted just when the fights begin, I wanted to know how to exit their house. You know. Mm-hmm. But I waited and didn't happen. And they were serving and they were eating and they were laughing. I was like, wait a minute, is this just a show? You know? And I went back to my school and then I came back the next week. It was the same thing. I was like, this, this can't be. And it's then I, of course, the more I began to live with them, that I realized like, ah, this is what a father ought to be, to be kind, to be gentle, to be playful, something I had never seen. And because I adored him, I wanted everything he did was more like, he's my God, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now I began to learn how he talks to his kids, how he treats his girls, how he treats his wife. And that really became my mode of life. Like if mm-hmm. I ever be, I want to just be like him, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's amazing, you know? we have kids uh, and I tell people like we can't all be false parents but we can be role models to our kids when you invite a teenager to your to your office to spend a time with you it's not like you're really giving them anything but you're really changing the way they view the world around them to see that office to know that you can invite them and sit in that chair and they see you work they're like huh I could do this one day you know, it's those little glimpses of hope that we plant that they get to be. So, yes, um, you call me a good father. Thank you. But it's all because I saw a good father that he taught me what a father ought to be. I'm so moved by that. We have so many parents listening, but we also have coaches and teachers. And I just want to highlight what you're saying, that these key adults in the lives of children You might not be a parent. You may be a coach or a teacher or somebody who works with children in a different capacity, but you are so important that you can influence a child by inviting them to your office, by speaking to them kindly, by telling them that they're worthwhile, by telling them that you see potential in them, that there are many key adults in the lives of children, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a teacher. And it takes many of us mm-hmm. to, to show children that they're worthwhile, to help redefine their version of themselves. And the more adults that realize that and act on it, I mean, what an impact they could make on children who are in their lives, even for a short period of time. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. You know, I'll give you an example again. So we, I met someone at church. They said, Peter, I want to help, but I don't really skill. I don't have anything to do. I'm like, 
what do you do? He said, we own a, a landscaping company. I said, okay, is there a way you could help one foster parent once a month? Once a month, you just go more there yet. That's all you could do. And I said, that would be the greatest thing you could ever do. And he said, can you be that farm? And I was like, sure. And so he would come and more. But my teenagers will always go up because there's this machine, you know, oh, yeah. and, and he will let them sit on it and more. I'm <laughs> telling you, you know, he said, I, I had no idea just a simple show up and a simple, including the teenager, how will change their life? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's like, I, where have I been all my life? When he comes home, he's never missed once, but my kids always waiting for him just so they can just be with him. You know, they mow, they clean. Who told them? He told them how to by showing up twice a month, you know? Yeah, and, and guess what? You know, they have their birthday. Do you know who they invite for birthday? <laughs> no, they're teenagers. The moment, you yes. know, because that's how he's impacted their lives. You know, mm -hmm. any good thing about them, they always go to him. We have other two young men who are single. They take my kids once a month to play video games with them. That's all they're doing. But I'm telling you, their birthday, who do they want to hang out? The men who come, you know, usually at first I thought it was strange, but it's the, it's the, they saw the example, they saw the role model, they saw the good men that they want to be alongside mm. with, like they invite, even on their special day, you know, mm. little, little did we know that we have to do the big thing. No, it is a small thing that truly changes the life uh, of our kids. Mm. Give us your top tip. What do you hope people come away with after listening to this podcast or reading your book? Well, I mean, the African saying, it takes a village to raise a child, you know, and it doesn't, it's not only applicable to, to Africa, but I think to United States as well. If we can see our county as our village, our small town as a village, and know that, hey, what impact can I do to impact the kids in my, in, in, in our town? Or moms, you know? So I will say a few things you can do, you know? We can all participate. You have money, give to charities in your community that help kids, you know. You make good meals or your wife makes good, you know, find one family where you can supply or provide for them a meal once a day, you know. You're, you have an amazing office or you're good at what you do. You know, invite a teenager once in a while, say, I would like to bring you once a month to work with me or to join with me as I do my job so they can see how it all that happens. You know, the other part is take single men like, like me. Sometimes I need another adult, you know, don't, don't, don't give me anything. Just say, Peter, can you show me, can you show up at lunch so I can just go have lunch with you? Just that, that would have given me literally therapy mm -hmm. that I need for an entire month. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the other part is, uh, you know, ask questions, you know, as foster parents, usually sometimes we, we don't know how to ask. We, we don't know how to, because we are so interested in, in, in the raising our kids with trauma that we forget about our needs. So if you're at the store and say, Peter, you know, can I get you milk and eggs? I'll say, absolutely. Because you're right there at the store, mm. you know, adaptive parents, you know, it's, it's easy sometimes to see that amazing family uh, that have adaptive but, but sometimes they go through challenge as well. So to right. be mindful of that and say, man, this family have adopted kids, but how can I come alongside them and just, you know, be that mentor or come alongside and help in any shape that I, I can. So we can all do something small. There's, there's nothing small. We can yes. all do something. And the other part, the biggest why I wrote this book now I'm known is do not let your past drag you or 
get in the way of your future. You know, it's easy to look back and say, my mother did this, my father did this, or my boss did this, or my ex-husband this. Here's what I'll say. Get all that. It's your, it's all your history. Grab it with all you can, but use it as a foundation to do better for yourself and for others. You know, I like the life, you know, uh, the life of, I know not all your viewers are believers, but I like what Joseph did in his story. Joseph was sold to, by people, by his brothers, but when they found him, they're like, oh no, he's going to kill us. But he said, what do you meant for evil? You know, somehow God has used it for good to save lives. In other words, you know, you wanted me the worst for me, but eh, that not happened. But somehow I was able to walk it through and overcome that so I can help others do the same for you. Don't mm. let the past rob you of your future. Use it for yourself and for good. And that's what I did. I beat the odds because I knew my father wanted the worst for me. I was like, I'm not going to let you. Right. But so rather, give us, oh, go ahead. Sorry. But I'd rather use their past, no, no, no disregard what I went through, you know, but somehow uh, use it as a foundation for me to do better. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad all of this worked out so beautifully for you and the people around you. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the work you do? Nowimknown.com. That's where if you go there, you're going to find plushies, the words of affirmation that we have for kids, uh, you know, the free downloads that you you can, you know, you can read, you know, the 12 um, uh, principles you, you can use in your family. Uh, that's the place you can go. Nowiamknown.com is awesome. a place you'll find our story as well. Well, I will have all those links for uh, to, to be able to get in touch. Uh, on my podcast uh, show notes. So don't worry if you're running around, we got you. We'll have them all written down and any social media links will also be there. And I just want to thank you so much, Peter, for being on the show today. What a pleasure it is to meet you and hear your story and read your book and just hear about the incredible impact that you've had on others in life because of the way that you have learned to see yourself and the way that you learn to see others. So thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me here. And thank you for being the voice and making sure every child is seen and heard. And we're grateful for you. Oh, thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. You can come up onto Facebook and go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or we can chat about it. DrRobinSilverman.com or twitter.com. I'm under Dr. Robin, also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman and trying my way at TikTok. I'm going to be going back and forth with Peter. He has a huge following on social media. I'll have those links available for you, but I will be going back and forth with Peter talking about this podcast all week long and, and the book and answering questions. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. And if you love this podcast episode, like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about Peter's story and all the great things that he's doing. And the more you do that, the more we get those five-star reviews, the more people will learn about the podcast and Peter, and it'll be good for everybody. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. 
I know it's not easy, but never forget, there is always a tomorrow. Parenting typically provides the ultimate do-over. So if you heard something today and you thought, hmm, I didn't do that well. I forgot to answer my child's question in this way. I wish I had known this before I had this conversation with this person who is fostering a child. You can do it again. You can get in touch with that person again. You can have that conversation again. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.